Welcome to the You Love and You Learn podcast, the place to learn about all things love, relationships, relationship anxiety, and to deconstruct the one-size-fits-all narrative of what it means to be in a happy relationship. I'm your host, Sarah Yudkin, a relationship anxiety coach who's on a mission to discuss the nuances of love and relationships that I wish someone would have shared with me years ago. My goal with each episode is for you to leave with an expanded definition of love and relationships and with practices to carry with you in your life and relationships on a day-to-day basis. I'm so grateful to have you here. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. So happy to be here with you today. And this was a very special episode. I got to connect with someone who we've been Instagram friends, so to speak, for almost three years now, like pretty much the full time that I've had you love and you learn. Elizabeth and I have been connected. And Elizabeth Gillette is who I got to speak to. She is an attachment specialist whose therapy and coaching practices support her clients in developing secure ways of relating and improving their relationships relationships by breaking old patterns and establishing healthy connections with integrity. She is the author of Attachment Theory Workbook for Couples, and Elizabeth believes in the healing power of connection, community, long walks, and warm cups of tea, which is amazing. I love a good warm cup of tea too. She lives in Asheville, North Carolina with her family, which is such a cute fam, and this conversation was really important for me because there's such a big focus on attachment theory now out in the world. And it's so common to hear like secure attachment is the best and everyone needs to be secure or find a secure partner. But what about those of us who are still practicing building secure habits and patterns? I think it can cause a lot of shame and guilt and frustration if we feel like we're not showing up in secure ways. And so this conversation really is to address that. And I'm so excited for you to listen to this. Feel free to share this with a friend who you think might want to hear it. If you have any takeaways, feel free to share with me and Elizabeth on Instagram. And if you're enjoying this podcast, it would be so meaningful to share this on social media with your audience or share it with a family member, leave a review or leave a rating. It really, really means so much. So thank you for listening and let's dive in. Hi, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Me too. And we were just saying before we pressed record how we've been connected for, I think, almost a few years now. Like we definitely connected right at the beginning of when I created this page. And it's been so nice just to even have like a virtual energy of your support, even though we haven't gotten to do a collaboration yet. So I'm really glad that we're finally getting a chance to have this conversation. Totally. Me too. And it has been so, I have to say, it's been so wonderful to watch your work grow and just see all of the incredible things that you're doing and all of the people that you are clearly supporting. It's really awesome. Oh, well, thank you. That means a lot. So as far as your work, which is focused on attachment therapy, how did that become something that you were interested in? Like was therapy or relationships always something that you were wanting to focus on and then attachment kind of came into the picture or how did that all play out? Yeah. So I became a therapist before I became um, interested in attachment work. And it's one of those things where it really was coming from my own personal experience. So, you know, the partner um, that I have now, we've been together almost 12 years. And um, in the beginning of our relationship, we were having all of these things come up in our partnership. So it was just like, I felt like we were 
having the same arguments over and over again. I was getting super activated and I couldn't figure out why. And I could tell that it wasn't just about this relationship. Like something was happening that had to do with my previous experiences and my previous relationships. So I discovered Sue Johnson's work. And she wrote, Hold Me Tight, Seven Conversations for a Lifetime of Love, which I highly recommend. And I read that and it, I just had one of those like mind blowing experiences where I was like, oh my gosh, this is changing the course of my life. So it definitely changed my relationships, but then it also changed the work that I do. Mm-hmm. And I took her um, emotionally focused therapy for couples training um, in order to become equipped to work with couples in a therapeutic way. And that just set me on this totally new trajectory. And I became um, so passionate about attachment theory and understanding that our early relational experiences really do shape who we are in the world as adults and that those patterns are flexible. So it really changed the course of my work. And so since then, I've really gotten into other types of attachment theory work. So dynamic attachment repatterning with Diane Poole Heller. She has a great book called The Power of Attachment. And I also have dabbled in internal family systems. There's lots of different ways that you can approach attachment work. So I really have been interested in that and have seen how powerful and impactful it is for not only couples, but individuals as well. Mm, Yeah, so important. And I feel like I've had a similar course of just being curious about something and then it takes me in this whole direction. And so for anyone listening, like you never really know how one book can just spark an idea within you and it can really click. And so I love that you shared those resources. I've been meaning to read Hold Me Tight ever since I kind of started this whole chapter of relationship coaching. And so that's a great reminder and I'll have to buy that book. I love getting books in person, so (laughs) I'll have to get it in person. (laughs) Yeah, it's really good. And one of the things too, that I think is really important about her work is that she talks about, you know, like she differentiates between what's happening on the surface in a relationship and what it seems like we're arguing about or disagreeing about. And then the reality of that, which is what's happening beneath the surface. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I think. I think that that the way that she distinguishes between those things is part of what makes that work so impactful. Mm. Do you have an example that comes top of mind of something that's common that you see in your work of what like the surface level thing we think we're anxious about or arguing about is and then what's really below the surface? Yeah, absolutely. So this is something that I see pretty often in partnerships where there's typically a partner who feels less appreciated, right? So maybe they're doing a lot of the emotional labor in a relationship or they're doing a lot of the management. They're kind of the ones who are tending to like organize social events or, you know, if they have children, they're, you know, making sure that the kids have everything that they need for school or, you know, whatever it is that's going on. And so one of one partner feels underappreciated. So oftentimes in the relationship, the conflict looks like it's about, well, you know, you need to go get this because they need this for school. And I did the dishes last time. And why didn't you do, you know, so it looks like it's about that actual, like very specific kind of content piece. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But underneath really oftentimes partners are saying, I want you to see me for everything that I do for this relationship. I want you to see how important our relationship is to me. I want you to, you know, remind me that you think I'm a good person, that you Mm -hmm. are, you know, grateful for everything that I do and that 
you see the work that I do as a strength here. Mm -hmm. And so it's really, you know, it's like the difference between content and process, right? Like there's something that's happening beneath the surface. And oftentimes we see those types of conflicts having a very specific pattern. Mm -hmm. And once we are working with couples for a while, we get really clear on what that patterning is. And I think that's part of what's so empowering in the relational work is being able to recognize that pattern for yourself and say, oh, we actually want to do something different here. And once you have that information, you and your partner are more of a team, right? And you're Mm -hmm. able to approach it in a much different way. Yeah, I love that. And that's such a common example that I hear come up all the time with my clients, or it's definitely something that I've thought before. And the reminder that this is actually just a request for more connection or more love or more understanding helps us be so much more compassionate with ourselves. And that kind of perfectly leads into part of what I want to chat with you about today. And for those listening, um, I've already done in the past an episode about like what is attachment theory or what are attachment styles. So that's not really going to be our focus today. But I want to talk about how we can begin shifting to secure patterns in relationships. But I also want to start off with this notion of if you feel like you have more of an insecure attachment, so you lean more anxious or something comes up and you feel like you withdraw and you avoid, how do we start bringing more compassion to that? Because I think in this social media world, now that attachment theory is a little bit of a buzz and everyone kind of understands it, I think that One thing I love about your work, Elizabeth, is that you help people understand that both avoidant people and attachment people are still just looking for that love and connection. You bring such an empathetic perspective to it, whereas you can see these things that make it seem like secure people are better and you're worse. And so I've myself sometimes compared to Nate, who is more secure leaning than I am and felt guilt or shame or like I'm doing something wrong. And so how would you respond to people that are feeling feeling insecure about their insecure attachment style? And like, what do you say to people in that place? Mm, I love that question. And it really, it really does make a difference to bring an a compassionate approach to this work because the reality is that we don't choose our attachment styles. And I feel like I say that all the time, but I, and I think it's so interesting because I think with the buzz of attachment in the social media world, I think there are actually a lot of misunderstandings about it, right? Like we have these sort of very basic concepts, which are wonderful, but it's almost like we know enough to get ourselves in trouble a little bit mm-hmm. <laughs> and because because it's so nuanced, right? Like it's just like anything relational, it's nuanced and it depends on the partners. It depends on the past experiences and it depends on the current context. So there's a lot that we need to be considering in that way. And, you know, what I tell everybody is that we're all working towards more security, but we're never done. So there's never a finish line. And that doesn't mean that someone who is more secure is better or has done more work necessarily, or, you know, some of us are, I guess, luckier than others in that way. And that depending on who, you know, who our parents were, what our upbringing was like, what types of privileges we had, what sorts of systems we were involved in, you know, like those things really do make a difference. And in that. But the truth is that in all of this, we can always shift our attachment styles. So Mm -hmm. there's no, you know what I mean? There's no wrong way to be. 
And I think if anything, we are working to allow our experiences to be more joyful and to, for us to be more connected to other people, right? So that's why we do the work is so that we get to have more of that connection in our lives. So I think when we look at it that way, and that's our motivator versus, oh my gosh, I'm not secure enough. I need to be more secure. You know, like we're able to really get what we need from doing that. Yeah. And you said something on your website, our relational patterns are passed down from generation to generation. And what I heard you just say is almost like there's a part of our attachment style that's out of our control, which is like how we grew up, who we grew up with, what systems we were in, what privileges we had, all of that. We can't go back and erase those things. But what is in our control is the actions that we're taking in the present and how kind we're being to ourselves and what part of ourselves we're willing to embrace versus kind of reject or shut down. Yes, that's exactly it. And it's really, I mean, I think what you just said about like the rejecting or shutting down, so often we show up in relationships doing those types of things to a partner because that's how we treat ourselves, right? Or that's how maybe we were treated or what we were used to when we were growing up. And you're right. We can't go back and change the the way that things were when we were young. However, when we're able to have an awareness of what our relationships were like, really bring compassion and empathy to those parts of us that didn't get what they needed, we can make an active effort to shift those patterns in our adulthood and provide something to ourselves that we didn't get when we were young. So it's actually a really, it's really powerful when we think about it that way. And I know another buzzword is, um, you know, like reparenting. Mm-hmm. But I think that in attachment work, what we're really doing, and this is the, like the science of attachment, right, is that by recognizing what was missing, and then either working to learn how to provide that for ourselves or asking a partner or a friend or a family member to respond to us in a way that feels good in a way that we feel seen and appreciated and heard and recognized for the wonderful people that we are. That's really what ends up changing things. So we have a lot of power in being able to shift our styles in adulthood. Mm, Yeah. I, again, I just love that because it makes it feel like the ball is in your court, not in a way of, I have so much to fix about myself, but there are opportunities to practice this. And like you said, we're not necessarily checking this off the list. Like we're moving towards secure. We checked it off and now we're good. There's always an evolution and like an upward spiral that we can keep creating. Even if there's moments along the way where you feel like you're moving backwards. It's just an opportunity to learn and figure out what happened. Okay, this is a chance for me to understand myself better and my relationships and then try again next time. Yep, that's exactly it. And I I love that image of the upward spiral. And we will always have times where we sort of feel like we're backtracking a little bit, but that's the, again, the natural progression of this work is that we're sort of circling this, these different ideas, right? And we're, we're deepening our understanding of each of these different layers. And so, especially when we're in a long-term relationship, right? Again, whether that's a partner or a friend, we're able to understand like, oh, something new arose for me in that, you know what I mean? In that interaction. And now this is a chance for me to learn myself better. And if we have that security built into the relationship, it really does create an environment where we can explore those things together and learn about ourselves and learn about each other and support each other along the way. Yeah. And I think what's hard for me in my own experience, and you've probably had so many moments like this or supported clients with this is when you 
notice an insecure pattern coming out. So like Nate's asking me is something wrong and it takes me like 10 minutes to actually open up or I'm kind of turning away when I know I actually really want to share something or whatever it is that can unintentionally create a moment of disconnection in the relationship. But what's hard, I think, especially for those of us who are still practicing leaning more securely is that there's this inner critic or this inner judgmental self that says you shouldn't have done that, you know better, or why are you such a bad partner? And then instead of actually moving back towards reconnecting, you're kind of in this negative feedback loop where you're judging yourself, which creates further disconnection in the relationship. So if those moments are coming up either in your life or your client's life, like what's a practical tool that someone can either use or a reframe they might be able to have that can help them kind of interrupt that loop so they have a chance of getting back towards connecting with their partner, which is what they actually are craving. Of course, that's exactly right. And I think even just the way that you frame that makes it really clear what that sort of inner critic part is up to, right? And so I would maybe use um, an internal family systems approach here. And if you're not familiar with internal family systems, the, the basic understanding is that we have all of these different parts that have come to be over time based on our experiences in relationships and our experiences in the world. Um, there's a great book called No Bad Parts by Richard Schwartz. Highly recommend that one too. But I would look at this part and I would be curious about this part. So I would be wondering, you know, what has this critical part done for me in the past? What has this part's job been? How has this part tried to keep me safe, right? If we look at a, a part that's criticizing, oftentimes that part is trying to, you know, protect us or get us to shift our behaviors or, you know, get us to catch something that's bad or negative before someone else sees it, right? Mm -hmm. So if we're able to understand that part, and be able to build a relationship with it and kind of have some of that self-talk going on around like, I see you. I know that this feels hard. I know why you're here, right? And what I ultimately know that I want is that I want to connect with my partner. I want to reconnect in this relationship. And, you know, building in a sense of safety. I think that if there's anything that is important in this conversation, it's recognizing that safety is the foundational aspect of having a sense of security in yourself and in your relationships. Mm -hmm. And so whatever we can do to build in that sense of safety is going to calm down those inner critic parts and any of the other sort of like protective or managing parts that are coming up to try to do something positive that's actually kind of getting in our way mm -hmm. um, in our relationships. Yeah, such a big one. Present moment safety is a phrase that I use all the time of you know, I can speak from someone with maybe relationship anxiety who is kind of pulling back and withdrawing in a moment from their partner and their brain is saying, well, you don't love them enough right now. And so you're lying if you're actually going to reconnect with this person. And then the brain's pattern feels really unsafe. So then maybe there's a physical reaction or maybe the physical reaction comes first and then the brain goes off. And so in that moment, it's so easy to feel like you're not safe because if I really loved this person, if we were really meant to be, I would just be so open-hearted right now. But in that moment, you physically are safe unless, of course, we're not talking about abusive situations here, but you're physically safe. How can you use your five senses? How can you use your breath? How can you use other tools? or patterns. Maybe we can give another example of a tool outside of breath and senses, but 
how can you remind yourself you're here and this is scary, but it's not unsafe physically and repeat as much as necessary until you're in a little bit more of that grounded place. Cause it's, it's so hard when your brain and body are telling you you're not safe, but you actually are. And it's that old pattern coming up. That's right. Exactly. And I think one of the important distinctions here too, is recognizing that, you know, a, attachment is really like, it's physiological, right? Because when we think about our early relationships, the way that our attachment systems, I mean, we're born with an attachment system, right? Like we're wired for connection. Our brains are wired that way, Mm -hmm. but then we, it develops over time by our caregivers being responsive to our needs, right? Like that's how we develop our attachment. And the first three years of life are especially sensitive in that way. And so depending on what was happening in our world, you know, and what was happening with our caregivers at that time, that's how we, our physiology develops around whether or not our needs are going to be met and whether or not we feel safe in the world. So Mm -hmm. I do think there's something in there, right? Like it, we feel that sensation in our body that we're not safe. And then we start having all of these thoughts about it, right? And we start to attach meaning to the physiological response. And I think that when we're able to notice the physiological response and work on calming that and settling that rather than attaching meaning to it, that's when we're able to create more of that repair with a partner um, or a friend or whoever it is that we're in relationship with. And that's the, the breath work I think is really important. Focusing on the senses, focusing on grounding, anything you can do for your body that creates a deeper sense of safety. I know some people love to like hold a warm mug or wrap themselves in a blanket or get some space or move. You know, there's lots of different things that we can do for our body. And this is where I think, you know, polyvagal theory is another really wonderful tool and resource. And Deb Dana has some incredible tools out there. I'm pretty sure she has a book. See if I can remember the title. It's like Polyvagal Exercises for Safety and Connection. And the whole book is about tools and resources that you can use to Mm -hmm. settle your nervous system. And um, again, that's another sort of like fuzzy word out here. But for those of us, you know, like us who've been doing this work for a long time, we recognize that um, those things really are foundational in helping calm ourselves and calming our physiological responses too. Yeah. We have like a whole course now of like Elizabeth's recommendations to understand (laughs) attachment. I love it. I'm like going to read all of these. So please know that I will be (laughs) sending you some messages (laughs) with my insights, but thank you for reminding us as well that some of this comes in our first few years. And so often I think, you know, people worry that if they realize maybe they have insecure attachment that we're blaming something that happened at that time. But it's not about a blame game. It's just about curiosity. Like my parents have told me recently funny stories about how if me and my brother ever had to like go to our room, maybe to think about what we had done or just kind of like get some space, I would be so upset because I'm a very extroverted person. Like I I love being around people and my brother would go to his room and just be like, like he would play like for hours and not even care. Um, Whereas I would be like at the end of the 10 minutes, like very ready to come out and hang out with everyone again. And so some of this stuff is, yes, it's a mix of like how we were raised, but also some of this could just be literally like, 
genetic and not blaming yourself for that, which we kind of covered already, but just kind of using that curiosity lens versus a lens of I'm broken, something's bad or wrong with me. Oh my goodness. 100%. And I think temperament, which is kind of what you're talking about is a really important aspect of this. And again, the, I've seen so many people like shame and blame themselves around like, Oh, I'm bad or wrong. And I really want to just like take that off the table, right? Because again, we didn't choose our attachment style. We didn't choose our temperament. We didn't choose how our nervous systems are wired and our attachment styles are really an adaptation to our environment, right? So not, and that's not just our environment with our caregivers. It's like, it's like our actual environment, right? And like Mm -hmm. where we're growing up and, you know, the city where we live or what our community feels like if there's safety there. And so I think that that's another really important piece of this is that there are a lot of different factors. And, you know, I don't think that blaming our parents or caregivers is the way to go either. I mean, I think in general, caregivers are doing their very best Mm -hmm. and they may have missed some things, right? And they may have caused some harm and, you know, that all gets to be very real. And I think that's where coming back to the present moment and saying, okay, yes, this was my experience. I want to honor that and name it. And what can I do from here? Right. Mm -hmm. I am an adult. I have the power to shift things now. What do I want that to look like? Yeah. Beautifully said. And you had shared that we have the opportunity to heal our entire family line when we show up to do the work in the present moment. So that like beautifully (laughs) led me to something I wanted to bring up, which is kind of like, what is the work that we can do to become more secure loving partners or like what are some of those habits and practices and I mean I'm sure we could go on for hours about this so maybe just some top things that come to mind that you focus on with your clients yeah absolutely yes there are so many different things and I actually have I've created a few different virtual courses that guide people through um, depending on their attachment style so I have a course about the anxious style, a course about the avoidant style. And then I also have one that's specifically focused on becoming more secure. And I think, first of all, that nervous system work is really important, right? And something that we really want to integrate. The other thing that, you know, we've been, we've been talking about in this conversation is this idea of compassion. So that's compassion for ourselves, right? And how we grew up and what our lives were like. And it's also compassion for our partners and what their attachment style is. And I think this is where it's like, this is where the rubber meets the road in terms of whether or not you're really able to shift how you think and feel into this attachment work is being able to really have deep compassion for what your partner is bringing to the relationship. So oftentimes I see, you know, like culturally and in social media, there's definitely more positive things said about the anxious style because the anxious style tends to want connection, right? Mm -hmm. And so we see that as being better. Mm -hmm. And the avoidance style is often seen as, you know, shutting down, pulling away, ghosting, stonewalling, you know, all of these, we have all of these names for it. Mm -hmm. And we often are like, what's wrong with people who have the avoidance style? Like they need to just they need to change. They need to choose to do something differently. Mm -hmm. And what I think is really important in this is again, when we recognize that we're not choosing our attachment style, we can see that people who have the avoidance style are, they're not actively choosing 
to shut down or run away or pull away, right? It feels like the only safe option given the circumstances. And for folks who have more of the avoidant style, you know, big feelings or conflict tend to be really scary and overwhelming for their nervous system. And so part of their work is to be able to sit with the discomfort of having conflict, right? Without feeling like they need to pull away. And that takes time right? Mm -hmm. It's like, it's not something that's going to happen overnight. And I think too, you know, on the other end of that with the anxious style, right? It's like being with the discomfort of not being resolved, being with the discomfort of, you know, knowing that there is conflict, but that everything is ultimately going to be okay, but it's going to take some time. Mm -hmm. And then I also, I want to just shout out to all of our disorganized attachment folks, because that is a style that gets neglected often in these conversations. And the disorganized style tends to be a combination of both anxious and avoidant. And so all of these things apply there as well. And you know, if you're disorganized, which way you sort of lean, but that's another one where like, safety is a super important aspect. So I've gone on a little bit of a tangent, but you know where I'm going. (laughs) That's perfect. And I, I, for those listening, I think we can sometime, well, first of all, I never want to diagnose somebody's attachment style just from a podcast, but I'll share what I've seen in my experience. And what I've seen a lot of my clients share is that they actually tend to sit in that disorganized camp and maybe they aren't even aware of that, but when their partner is fully invested, then they feel the need to kind of pull away. Like this is scary. But if for some reason their partner is busy or pulling away or has not shown signs of love or affection, then they actually tend to like lean in a little bit more and feel more anxious in that context. And so unintentionally, it becomes sometimes a little flip floppy and that can be such a normal pattern, like the pursuer distancer dynamic can come up in that. But I just want everyone to know that no matter which style you have, it can still fall under a relationship anxiety bucket. And relationship anxiety that I talk about is slightly different from some other forms of relationship anxiety where people maybe are worried, is my partner going to leave me or cheat on me? I kind of focus on, do I love my partner enough? And do I want to be with them? But you can have many different flavors of relationship anxiety and all of them are still an invitation to kind of tune into what's going on in your inner world and create some of these patterns, create some of these practices that regulate that nervous system, bring yourself more compassion and open up more to your partner as well, which I think can be another thing that we don't focus on as much because we're so in our head that we forget that we can actually have a nice connecting moment and enjoy our relationship too. Yes, that's exactly right. Well, and I think that in, in your own head piece is really big here because not only are we in our own heads, but we're also making assumptions about what's going on with our partners. Mm-hmm. Right. And like, especially when we have a specific history of, um, you know, a certain relationship dynamic is we're sort of, we're planning out like, oh, this is going to happen next. And then this is going to happen. And you know what I mean? Like that's, a, it's another way that we try to keep ourselves safe. Mm-hmm. And so being able to be in the present moment with a partner and even just naming and pointing out, you know, what's going on, like I'm feeling overwhelmed. And I think I'm noticing that you're, you know, pulling away. Is that what's going on? You know, like bringing that curiosity and checking in and being able to, you know, be as accountable as possible for our own behaviors and what's happening with us and taking the time and energy needed to explore those is a really helpful way to bring more security as well. Mm. 
I love that. And you've shared before that you value when people bring more integrity and authenticity or like you don't value that, but you help people bring that more into their relationship. So when you're talking about having a healthy relationship to integrity or authenticity, what does that look like in a secure partnership? Mm-hmm. So I think that really kind of the conversation we were just having about being able to be accountable and being honest about where we're coming from and what we're needing is really important in that way. So I think oftentimes, you know, growing up, depending on our attachment style, we may have felt, you know, shame for having certain feelings or needs, or we felt like we couldn't fully express those and have them be received, or maybe they were received sometimes and responded to sometimes, but not others, which can create a pattern of anxiety because then we don't know, right? It becomes unpredictable. We're not sure if our needs are going to be met this time or not. So when we, when we have those things going on, oftentimes we create sort of stories or narratives or I guess ways of trying to kind of cover those things up because Mm -hmm. we have shame or embarrassment about them. And part of what, you know, and this is kind of like Brene Brown's work, but part of what, you know, when we bring a deeper sense of vulnerability and truth and truth telling to our relationships, we make space for our partners to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so it takes, you know, it takes one of us to be able to say, you know what, this whole argument that we're having, I'm realizing is not actually about this. It's more about, you know, what I experienced when I was younger. Or it's more about the fact that I, you know, really missed you. And now all of a sudden we're reconnected and everything feels like a mess. And I'm feeling really hopeless about our partnership, right? Like, mm-hmm. or whatever it is. And you're able to bring that and say that it's like, you're, you're bringing in this like big flashlight into your relationship and you're shining light on something that was previously in the dark. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, now we're communicating on a very different level than we were before. Now we're talking yeah. about something entirely different. And when our partner hears like, oh, they just missed me, right? Like this is about Mm -hmm. them actually wanting to be with me, Mm -hmm. not about them wanting to criticize me or judge me or yell at me or whatever, you know, like I can meet them here. Like this feels like it's bringing a sense of safety. So Mm -hmm. um, I think that's really what I'm talking about when I'm talking about integrity and authenticity is bringing our full selves to a relationship and trusting that we'll be met there you know, and, and believing that our partners can do the same thing, but it's going to take some time for us to get there. There's no hacking. <laughs> there's no overnight fixes, right? Like I'm a, mm-hmm. I, I find myself saying that all the time because there's so much about that yeah. in the world currently, <laughs> but in terms of doing this work, like that's really what is required is to like dig in three weeks until you're secure, <laughs> right? Exactly. Oh my gosh. If only, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah. And that on that point of truth telling, I just want to share in my experience and what I've again seen from clients is that there can be this sense of I have to tell the truth about every thought that pops in my head. And what I've found is that truth telling for me can look like I'm feeling disconnected. Like, can we talk about that? Or my anxiety is making me pull away. And I just wanted to kind of like float that out there versus you don't look attractive right now. I'm not sure I love you today. Like, I I think there's this balance of privacy that we are allowed to keep to ourselves. And no one should feel guilty for like those nitty gritty things. But if you think it can serve a deeper connection with your partner to let them in, like you said, on the vulnerability of, hey, I think this is about my own fear right now, or I'm really pulling away, even though I know I want to be connected. And that's what we're talking about with the truth telling piece. 
Absolutely. Well, and I think too, that I love that because there, I think there's a difference between saying the thought that's happening and saying and naming your process, Mm -hmm. right? Like in that, like that example you just gave is like, I don't find you attractive right now. The way that I see that from an attachment perspective is I'm my brain and my body are working to create distance between us in order to keep me safe. And this is one of the ways that that's happening, right? So, so saying that instead, right? Like I see myself trying to distance from you, right? Mm -hmm. Or I feel myself Mm -hmm. trying to find reasons to pull away from you. That to me feels like the type of truth telling that's actually going to be supportive, right? Because Mm -hmm. as soon as you bring out that, that content piece of like, I don't find you attractive, right? Like that's ultimately going to start both of you in on that relational patterning that you're, Mm -hmm. you're trying to get out of. So I think there's a difference in between. I really appreciate that you brought up that distinction. Good. Yeah. And I love that. Like, it's almost you gave like a little script there. So if anyone wants to like go rewind that part and just memorize (laughs) what she's saying, because pretty much every time that we're not attracted to our partner, there's that distance that we're trying to create. So if you just want to have something on deck to share with your partner, that is a great phrasing. So I'm definitely going to be re-listening to that and sharing that with my clients because sometimes we feel so like it's so real in that moment to us. But when we're in a more clear headed, calm place, we know that pattern is actually because we're just in our anxious head. That's right. Exactly. And we're feeling something is triggering a sense of not being safe, right? So how can we move more towards safety and then address it? Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, I feel like we've covered so much ground, so much good stuff. Before I get into the final two questions, is there anything else about becoming more secure, about attachment within relationships, about bringing compassion to all of our parts, anything else that you want to bring into the conversation? I mean, I think what I'll say and just reiterate is that this is lifelong work, right? And I'm sure the folks who are listening to your podcast are invested in that work. And so remembering that we don't have to rush, we don't have to force or push anything, right? Like there's no specific timeline that all of this has to happen on. And I think sometimes I, I work with individuals or I work with couples who are like, well, we have to get secure before we get married. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And I'm like, oh no, no, like that's not how it works. Right. Like this is, mm-hmm. yes, you want some foundational pieces there so that you can feel good about taking those steps forward, but you absolutely do not have to feel like, okay, we're all set. Like we're totally secure <laughs> in our relationship. It's something that develops over time. It's something that deepens with every sort of joyful or challenging experience that you have together. And if you're not in a partnership, you get to be on your own timeline with this, right? And there's there's plenty of time. I just want to name that, that nothing mm. has to be a huge rush and you get to relax into it and trust that the, the timing is going to be right for you. Beautiful. Thank you so much. So because this is the You Love and You Learn podcast, what is one thing you have learned about love that you want to leave listeners with? Mm. Oh, such a beautiful question. I feel like I've had a, a number of really lovely opportunities to learn in my own life, but in being able to witness folks on their journeys. And I think one of the things that has come up for me is recognizing that love is really about making commitments and being able to 
sort of see things through, right? So I don't always wake up feeling awesome about my relationship. I don't always wake up feeling awesome about the work that I do. You know, like I, there are days where I wake up and I just feel like something's off or I don't feel great. And being able to have a commitment to what I'm doing, whether that is in my family or in my partnership or in my work or in my community and trusting that my feelings sort of come and go, right? Like there are days where I feel like extra energized and passionate and joyful about what I do and days where I don't feel that necessarily, but trusting that my feelings will ebb and flow and that I will be able to come back to this thing that feels so important and meaningful to me. And if at some point my feelings shift, then I get to change my mind and I get to make another decision, right? But nothing has to happen in that in that very moment. So I think that that has been something that I've seen over time in myself and in the folks that I work with. Mm, yeah. And for the record, I can agree with everything you just shared about some mornings you wake up and you're just like, oh man, like I, I rolled I, over and I'm like, wait, we've been waking up next to each other for like every day for for ages. And then other mornings I'm like, oh, it's so nice to see you this morning, you know? So I, I'm grateful for that vulnerability. And even with the work piece too, I'm sure we both share the sentiment. It's something that's so meaningful, so important to us. And the missions that we have go way beyond just a bad mood. But there are those bad moods where you're like, does anything I do matter? Like, am I actually a good therapist or coach? Or like, what's (laughs) going on here? So just bringing that vulnerability is so important. Yeah. And that we all have those moments of doubt or insecurity. Right. And that doesn't mean that we're not secure. It doesn't mean that we're, (laughs) there's something bad or wrong about us. It's part of being human. And um, our feelings will shift undoubtedly. Definitely. All right. Well, last but certainly not least, where can people stay connected with you and where can they get the awesome workbook that you have for attachment? Thank you. Um, So the workbook is called Attachment Theory Workbook for Couples. It's primarily on Amazon. You can find it on bookshop.com. You can also ask for it to be ordered at your local bookstore, which I always encourage folks to do. And I have two different practices. So I have my therapy practice, which is heirloomcounseling.com. Um, I have a very extensive blog on that site. All my courses are there as well. And then I also have a relational coaching practice, which is elizabethgillette.com. Hmm, thank you. We'll put both of those links as well as the link for the book in the show notes, but awesome. it was such a pleasure. I just love your energy and I love the way that you bring such kindness, but also like you're direct, but you're so kind and empathetic and it's so helpful that people can understand that they're not alone in this, but that they also have tools and things that they can work on. Because the last thing you want is to feel like you just are putting your head in the sand and like, there's nothing that you can actually do here. So I really love the empowering, compassionate message that you bring. Oh, thank you so much. I really have appreciated being here. And I also just wanted to say I'm on Instagram too. If anyone wants to connect there, um, it's at elizabeth.gillette. And I would love to chat with folks and connect there. And I share lots about, you know, my my work, but also my personal life. And yeah, I think that there's a lot of connection to be made. So I really, really appreciate you having me on, Sarah. Thank you so much. Yes, you're so welcome. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Love and You Learn podcast. If you've been enjoying the podcast, it would mean the absolute world to me if you could rate and review the podcast because the more ratings and reviews there are, 
the more people that can hear this message. And it's really important to me to get this message out to the world and to create a space where people can learn about love and relationships in a way that is not judgmental, in a way that helps them expand their perspective from the cultural narratives that we've heard and seen in the movies and in Hollywood and the media. And the more ratings and reviews that are there, the more people that can hear this message. So thank you again so much. It really means the world to me that you are listening and see you in the next episode.